Hey there, Pulse Check listeners. This is Jeremy Siegel continuing our special series on the coronavirus outbreak. In November of 2020, Politico published a story with a headline that read, Pandemic on course to overwhelm U.S. health system. The story looked at how the winter surge in cases wasn't just creating a shortage of ICU beds and protective gear, but also a shortage of medical professionals. America is facing a healthcare crisis of unprecedented dimension with a number of factors contributing to the impending worker shortage. That was nine months ago. But just this week, we published another story, this time with the headline, Health Worker Crunch Pressures States Battling Delta Variant. It, it does feel like we are it, maybe not back to square one, but definitely backsliding. That's Alice Miranda Olstein, who co-reported both of those stories. You're seeing just all of these things that we went through last year. And I mean, as, as a reporter, you know, we're, we're sort of looking at, you know, what was I writing about a year ago and who were the sources? And now I have to contact them again because we're going through the, the exact same things. Today on the show, more than a year into the pandemic, why the U.S. is once again facing a shortage of health workers as the virus surges. So we are heading into a very dark place. And in some parts of the country, hospitalizations are even worse than the worst months of last year when we didn't have a vaccine. But even now that we have one, not enough people are taking it. And that has allowed these variants to evolve and emerge that are sending people to the hospital in really record numbers, mostly unvaccinated people, overwhelmingly unvaccinated people, I should say. And that is causing a real crunch in hospital workers because as we keep hearing from all these different parts of the country, you can build more hospital beds, you can't build more hospital workers. Where specifically are we seeing these shortages of hospital workers or is it across the board? So it, it it is across the board at this point. You know, we saw most of the case surges in the South, but we're really seeing problems with hospital capacity in many different parts of the country, from Florida and Texas to Oregon and parts of the Midwest. It's really getting bad in many, many different places. And when we're talking about healthcare workers, are we talking about all healthcare workers? Like, is this a shortage of doctors and nurses? and PAs and medical technicians, or is it specifically like one aspect of, of health work? So we're hearing that, yes, it's a real problem with nurses because we already had a shortage before the pandemic. And now after going through all of the stress and trauma of last year, that has driven many people to leave nursing. And that has just exhausted the pool of workers we already had. But we we are hearing that it's not just nurses. It's all kinds of assistance and all different kinds of support staff, even just people who answer the phones at a hospital. There are a shortage on many different kinds of fronts. So we have a situation where like people who dealt with this last year might have decided enough is enough. And then there's a smaller number of people on staff. And now that staff is being overrun. Absolutely. And there are people who just felt like 
my employer didn't look out for me last year. They didn't make sure I had the proper masks and protective gear. They didn't make sure I was protected, that my family who I went home to was protected, and I don't want to continue putting myself at risk. There's also a lot of frustration we're seeing bubbling up due to the fact that a lot of this is being caused by people who are declining to take the vaccine. And that is just harder for a lot of folks to deal with when they are interacting with patients than when there was no vaccine available. Are we seeing at all similar situations to last year with medical supplies and, and masks and stuff like that? Or is, is that end of it at least better? So that end is better in that there is just a lot more being manufactured and available. Mm-hmm. We are hearing from some hospital workers that the actual employers themselves, the hospitals themselves are sort of cheaping out and not buying enough for their workers and still requiring them to reuse masks at etc. And Mm. that has caused a lot of frustration. But again, you can manufacture more masks, you can build more beds, you can't build more people, especially people who have all of this really specialized training. So how does this end up playing out in the hospital when you do have these increasing numbers of, of COVID hospitalizations, but you don't have the staff needed for all these people? What does that look like in the hospital? Like what effect does it have? Sure. So some parts of the country are offering these big signing bonuses to try to attract nurses from other areas to come work there to to help fill the shortages. Others are calling on the National Guard to help out again, as they did last year in terms of they did a lot last year in terms of testing and early vaccinations, and they're being remobilized again to support some of these hospitals. They are uh, even looking at changing or waiving some laws that are in place to say, okay, only a medical worker with X training can treat X kind of patient. They're now saying, all right, this is an emergency. We need to loosen some of these rules, at least temporarily. And really, that means that if you are admitted, you could be treated by somebody who doesn't have the same level of training and experience as was required before. So are people not getting the care they need? Like, is there a chance if you are admitted to a hospital in an area that is seeing an influx of patients that you might not get what you need as a patient and could, I don't know, get sicker or even die because of this shortage? That's definitely the fear. And, you know, when you have a single nurse in charge of monitoring, you know, nine or more patients, which is what we're hearing, that means each individual patient is getting less care and attention. That's just that's just the way it is. And I want to stress that this doesn't just impact COVID patients. If you need to go to the hospital for any kind of reason, if you, you know, get hit by a car or, you know, whatever a very common thing is, you could find yourself in the position where you are stuck waiting in an emergency room or you're being treated in the hallway. I mean, this this is really what we're hearing right now because of the shortages we have. That's pretty wild to think about. I mean, how did the doctors and health workers and health officials who you spoke to in reporting this story, how did they describe the situations that they're seeing? So they they were just really, you know, dismayed. They feel they feel burned out and exhausted. They're they're afraid. <laughs> and I want to also note that it isn't just hospitals, but it's the whole sort of eco health ecosystem. And one really um, alarming thing we learned about is that 
because there is also a worker shortage in uh, long-term care facilities and nursing homes, those were some of the places where when hospitals would discharge a patient, a COVID patient, after they got a bit better, they would discharge them over to a nursing home or long-term care facility to recover. But if those facilities can't take any more people, you get a backlog, and that's further putting strain on the hospital system. Thinking back to how this is something that we experienced um a year ago and how, you know, at this point, more than a year into the pandemic, when we do have vaccines that we know are are very effective at preventing people from going to the hospital, how are you making sense, like as a reporter looking at this, of, of how it in a way feels like we're back to square one with the situation that the health system is facing? It, it does feel like we are it, maybe not back to square one, but definitely backsliding. And it is really troubling. And you just see it on so many fronts. You're seeing schools start to shut down and have to go remote because of outbreaks. You're seeing just all of these things that we went through last year. And I mean, as, as a reporter, you know, we're, we're sort of looking at, you know, what was I writing about a year ago and who are the sources? And now I have to contact them again because we're going through the, the exact same things. And, you know, it's, thinking back to what else do we have to check up on that we thought we were past. Um, and, and, and so that, that's this ongoing challenge to, you know, both illustrate how far we've come in terms of what we know now about the virus and the tools we have, not just the vaccine, but some of the therapeutics versus how we do seem to be caught in a sort of Groundhog Day scenario. Hmm. This is kind of a loaded question, but who would you say is to blame for this situation. So we are hearing again and again that unvaccinated people are the majority of the people who need this kind of hospitalization and care right now. That said, prior to the pandemic, hospitals were really operating on a very lean staffing and lean budget and trying to cut costs wherever possible. And then when the pandemic hit, that continued because hospitals were losing money because people weren't coming in for their normal procedures and surgeries as much. And so they lost money and often tried to recoup those losses by cutting more staff, even as this crunch of patients mounted. And so there's just all of these factors. And I think there are increasing calls for either more government or sort of watchdog scrutiny of the medical system, you know, especially as, you know, nonprofit hospitals get all these uh, tax incentives and, They've gotten all of this government aid and government funding during the pandemic. And yes, they have lost money in certain ways, but they've gotten this infusion of funding in other ways. And how is that money being spent? These are all things that we should really be exploring in the months ahead. In the near term, what do you expect is going to happen next year? I mean, you mentioned hospitals trying to incentivize and, and give things like bonuses for new workers, talk of the National Guard stepping in here. I mean, do you think looking ahead in the coming days, in the coming weeks, this is a problem that is going to be solved? Or is this a problem that's going to get worse? So it is so hard to make predictions. And I think if we've learned anything from this pandemic, it is not to declare victory too early. You know, we saw the Biden administration do a big splashy 4th of July. Let's it's our Independence Day from the virus. And then a few months later, look where we are. And so I think 
I, I always caution, you know, we are very much not out of the woods yet. And it's just really hard to say where this is going because the surge in cases, hospitalizations and deaths pretty recently has spurred more people to get vaccinated. Now we have the full FDA approval of one of the vaccines with more on the way soon. Will that encourage more people to get it? That's already leading to more employer mandates for the vaccine. Will that really make a difference? We're just watching all of these factors and, you know, trying to respond in the moment. And what I found really interesting is when I was talking to a source for this story who is in Wisconsin, you know, which is a, you know, political swing state and, you know, in in a sort of different situation, he was asking me, what are you hearing from down in Alabama, et cetera, because I want to know what's coming. So, you know, states are sort of looking to other states to see what's going to hit us next. All right, that's the show for this week. I'm Jeremy Siegel, and big thanks to Alice Miranda Olstein from Politico's health team for joining me. She co-reported the story we featured on this episode with Politico's Dan Goldberg. You can find a link to that story in this episode's show notes. Also, to stay up on all of our latest coverage of health news and the latest on the pandemic, be sure to subscribe to the Politico Pulse newsletter, which comes out every weekday morning. Also, subscribe to this podcast, Pulse Check, if you haven't yet. Pulse Check's senior editor is Raghu Manavalan. Our senior producer is Jenny Ament. And our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you soon.